Hi, I'm Cheryl and Fenn. Hello, this is Christabel. Hello, this is Michael Horse. Do you enjoy listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the podcast? Have you picked up our book yet? Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book. That has over 100 cast and crew who have contributed to this book. And it's, I think people really love it. I mean, we also have community commentary where a lot of the community have participated in this. It's just a great book. We recommend you pick it up at bluerosemag.com. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. Hello. We're all very happy to be here tonight. Um, first of all, I'd like to introduce my boys. This is uh, Chucko, and this is Buster, and this is Pete. I'm David Lynch, and this is Bob, and this is Dan. And we just wanted to get together and thank all of the people that have supported Eraserhead uh, through the years, and particularly thank the New Art Theater for its support. The New Art was one of the first theaters to ever show Eraserhead. Also, um, the boys wanted me to uh, wish you uh, peace and happiness. And um, these guys aren't just a bunch of goofballs. They know that there's plenty of suffering in the world. And they uh, spent many years with little iron hooks in their backs up on uh, Sunset Boulevard. And, uh, but they tell me uh, that there's this all-pervading happiness underneath everything. And the more time I spend with them, the more I believe it. And so we wish you peace and happiness and long live Eraserhead. Thanks a million. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. You know, it's uh, almost the 40th anniversary of Eraserhead. 40th? Yes, 40th. Where did the time go? Oh, man. I yeah. feel so young. March 19th, 1977 is when it was released. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah, so we got to get this show on the road. We've got a special guest. We should start talking to him and uh, get on with Eraserhead. We're on the show with John Fairhurst. Hey, John. Hello. Why did we have you on the show? Tell us, what are you doing related to Eraserhead? Interested in Eraserhead for years and years. And uh, about a year ago, I unlocked a, a mystery. So uh, I found some literary text that has literally scores of clues uh, about the little details in Eraserhead and ended up writing a graphic novel. So uh, it's called The Key to Eraserhead. And in fact, it's going to be published on March 19th which just happens to be the 40th anniversary of the film. So, awesome. so that's coming up. And, of course, midst of that, I did a ton of research on the, on the film, as you can imagine. I know, on, at least on Twitter, on uh, Keys to a Razorhead, you've been, I think you've been doing daily samples of the graphic novel? Exactly, yeah. I'm, I'm releasing the first, I think it's 46 panels of the, of the graphic novel. Hmm. Uh, started on February 1st, and, uh, and so... Uh, so yeah, I show that on Twitter, and then the, it links to the website, which is key the number two eraserhead.com, and you go there and you can see uh, the whole sequence of panels, 
And, and the book is available for pre-order. I'm just doing it as an ebook, both on uh, Kindle and uh, through iBooks. And so it's available for pre-order now. Cool. And how much is it going to cost? Five ninety-nine. Cool. Very nice. So Ben kept it from me <laughs> moments before calling you. He told me about your graphic novel, and my ears perked up, and I was like, really? Is it out? Is it, Can I get a copy? Brian, Brian loves comics, too. So. I love graphic novels. And then I was like, is it going to be a physical copy? <laughs> and Ben's like, well, I have something. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, he just told me moments ago. Now, to be fair, John also said I should keep this for you, so it wasn't just, it wasn't just me. It was John as well. So. Uh, <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. Brian, I thought it would be awesome if you were here without knowing the background of, of the book. Yeah. And uh, and my understanding is that you just saw the movie for the first time recently. Yeah. And so having uh, having your perspective of someone who's just seen the film, just trying to figure it out, I think is great. I just watched it yesterday. So it's fresh in my mind. It blew my mind. I mean, I thought it was really awesome. We were texting. It wasn't what you thought it was going to no, be. No, it was nothing like I thought it was going to be. And I have to say, this is definitely in my top favorite Lynch films. I feel like every time you see a Lynch film, like, I know oh, no, it's so time. hard, right? <laughs> they just get, but a part of me, this movie really made me wish we did watch these movies in order because we just watched Lost Highway. Right. And now we, we watched one of his latest films and then we're watching his very first film. Right. And you're, and I get to see this contrast of where he is to where he was mm-hmm. filmmaking-wise. But even though it's out of order, I think you can still see elements yes. of where he was working with and then where he was going 20 yeah, yeah, years yeah, yeah, later. Yeah. Or, or, the, yeah. the, the central themes kind of carry through these movies and even into Twin Peaks. And I even I even kind of saw some Twin Peaks in there. Mm. Just hints, hints of things. You know, those little kernels of uh, inspiration that would carry on through his career. Right. You can really see the foundation in this movie. And John, when do you remember when you first saw Razorhead or what your first impressions of it was? Yeah, it would have been back in like 1981 or something like that. A friend mm. of mine invited me over to his house and he had the on TV, which is the Scrambled TV channel in L.A. at the time. Ah. And he, he says, you got to see this. It's about, you know, a guy with a deformed baby. And I'm thinking it's going to be a tearjerker uh-huh. about some guy with, a, you know, a down baby or something like this. But no, it's uh, a little different than that. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw I saw it in college, and it was probably like the 90s. It was on VHS, and it was, you know, the format is wrong. So, like, you know, it's being cut. You know, like, even when you see Eraserhead, the title at the beginning, it's being cut off. And it, oh, wow. So it wasn't, like, the, the best format to watch it. And then I, I want to say it was 2002 on DavidLynch.com's website. Mm-hmm. He released the DVD for the first time, which I brought in. Eraserhead so 2000. Right, so they that was I, back in the day when they threw the word they, they threw two thousand at the end it, of everything. And they wanted to release it in two thousand, but I think they weren't happy with it, and they had to then re, yeah. they redid it and cleaned it up again, and so it took them a little longer. But they DavidLynch.com used to send like shoe boxes of that's of their, cool. It's kind of cool. That I brought really in the shoe cool. box, but it was fun. I but, get I get the Blu-ray, and it's it's beautiful. I yeah. mean, it, it comes with a booklet, has the making of in it, mm. and it's really such an awesome piece to have. Yeah, and the supplements have like all the like stuff throughout the years. So some of the stuff that was on the, the previous DVD and other materials, they all kind of put it on there. That's so cool. It's, it's a lot of good stuff. Uh, one gem in that those extras is uh, when he actually goes to uh, the AFI site, uh, which I've visited. It's amazing to go there, and and he's with uh, Catherine Coulson. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so you get to hear her interviewed. Mm. Uh, 
Yeah, was as it? well as uh, Charlotte uh, Stewart is there. Yeah, was that, uh, I think that was Pretty as a Pitcher, the Pretty as a Pitcher documentary with Jack Nance and all of them. Yeah, that was great. That's cool. I have to watch yeah, that. Yeah, that's really something. I actually want to ask both of you a question since we, you guys kind of went in that direction. Might as well go now. This movie, it made me feel like a teenager again. And like I was watching something that was special. When I was younger, the first movie I saw that blew my mind that was like, the, these movies exist was Evil Dead. The first mm. Evil Dead, uh, a friend of mine said, you got to go rent it. Because Army of Darkness had just come out in the theater. Mm. And I knew no, I, I like Bruce Campbell, and I didn't know. I look cool. My friend's like, you go see Evil Dead. Go rent it now. Cross the street. Go, go, go. And I watched it, and I'm like, movies are like this? Like, mm. people are making movies that are not the movies I go to the theater to see. This is, like, crazy. It made me dig into, like, I watched Evil Dead 1 and 2. Then I looked into um, Tim Burton's Ed Wood movie. Got me interested in Ed Wood. I saw his films. Then, like, Pi, uh, Cube, Requiem for a Dream. Just oh, yeah. weird, weird stuff. And I loved it. Me and my friends would be, you feel like you're in a special club. You're yes. like, nobody else knows right. about this. This is this is special. And this is what this movie made me feel. Mm. And I almost felt like this is what we're missing in today's cinema, yeah. Um, in the indie scene, I mean, there's an indie scene, but I feel like it's not as strong as it was. Hmm. I mean, maybe it is, and maybe I'm just getting old and not paying attention anymore. But it did, it did have that feeling, and I was wondering, it, what movie was it? This movie for you guys, or what movie that you saw that were like, oh my god, this blew my mind. This is not mainstream cinema. This is something else. There's something else out there. Yeah. Yeah, so this, for me, this was, you know, the film, because seeing it back in uh, in the early 80s, you know, I'd seen The, the Exorcist. And, mm. uh, you know, so that was about the only other, like, off-the-edge movie that at that time. So, and this one was so far removed from that. And I think a key is that it doesn't spoon-feed you. And those are the exact words that Lynch's used. Mm. You know, it doesn't want to spoon-feed you with and tell you, why everything happens and what everything's uh, what everybody's thinking, mm. you know. So, so you really there's so much open ended. It's something you think about. And and for me, I thought about it for years afterwards. You know, not just the next few days, but for years. Well, see, the first thing that came to my I don't even think it's that weird or crazy, but I think about train spotting. Yeah, there you go. I just think one. about like, was it a baby on the ceiling? And it was just like yeah, really they, trippy and yeah. really crazy. And like to me, that was like, but see, I'm thinking like in order of like my my age. Mm. Like I didn't see, I saw that in high school. I think so. I came on, yeah, when we were, I was in high school, like yeah. So I would have been maybe I was a senior and yeah. you were a freshman, yeah. or something like that. But, but I mean, that movie, it, it was against the norm. It was yeah. you didn't make a movie about heroin addicts no. <laughs> and having a baby <laughs> crawl on the on the ceiling was something out of the. You, you didn't right. see that. And like, wait, they seemed like time. they were the heroes and stuff, and like they were. Well, like, I mean, yeah, it was like a story about yeah. their lives, right. you know. Yeah, I mean, I even think Firewalk with Me was pretty out there. I think Lynch's films is pretty out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm jealous that you guys got to see this when it came out because I saw this. And I'm like, I wish I saw this. I when didn't I was see younger. Eraserhead when it was out. No, but I wish I saw this when I was younger. I know it came out '77. Yeah, I was, I was born in '79. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I wish I was in high school that I knew yes, someone right. that was into Lynch to point in that direction. Right. I mean, I had friends who were older than me that pointed me in the direction of these kinds of movies. I just didn't know that movie existed, and I kind of wish I did, because totally. it, it did have it bring me it bring me back to that time period where I would just rent movies by myself and be like, go to school. And I guess what I just watched, you know, yeah. people were like, "What?" And I'm like, "Ah, it was so cool." That's awesome. So, 
You usually have theories, Brian. Do you want to bring up any theories about this film? What is what is this film about? Oh, man. I can't wait to watch it again and again and have other people watch it because it's just that kind of movie. Uh, my theory overall, I would have to say Henry is just this kind of schlubby guy. He gets this girl pregnant. He's having fear, you know, fear of the unknown, fear of having a child, fear of um, just being a parent, maybe a dad. He doesn't know what to do. And he maybe he's just not ready for something like this. And his girlfriend there, Mary, Mary, she seems a little she's a little off. The family, they're all off. They're all off. off. But the family, you see the father and you don't see a grand, you know, you just see the mom and the grandma. Mm. And the father is just very, you know, he, he, he's excited about chicken. We've got chicken tonight. Strangest damn things. They're man-made. Little damn things. Smaller than my fist. But they're new. But, but is that your life? <laughs> your life is like so bad. Like you go to work, you're miserable. You come home, you're excited about chicken and <laughs> little chicken, little chickens. Size your hand. Yes, I <laughs> and they bleed, you know. And obviously, I think he was—he saw the blood. I don't, you know, that was just or his. Or whatever, yeah, whatever yeah like I think that's his fear of like everything coming out in these illusions or whatever. And then um, the fact that it's little chicken makes me think it's a baby chicken. If, we, mm-hmm. if we're going with this, theme, yeah, the theme. You're the right. Baby, you're yeah. right. Like it's a premature because it was a premature baby, mm-hmm. right? And, right. Um, so I think it's his fear. The baby. I don't know what you guys think, and I'm interested to know. I kind of feel like the baby, it was premature, it had problems, but I don't I don't think it really looked, it, in real life, I don't think it was a alien baby. Personally, I think he almost projected this alien-like form on it, so he didn't grow, he, he never became attached to it. Hmm. It never became something he loved. He had this disdain, like, it was always for better or worse term, blocking him from having an affair in the mm, beginning there. Yes. Um, li- crying, laughing, mocking him. Now, we should all say that Brian has not, does not have kids. And I don't I have, have kids. three kids. Yes. They're young kids. So I can definitely relate to the idea that you kind of lose your life when you have children. Yeah, yeah. and that's where I think the name Eraserhead comes from because I think when that se- the big scene happens and – his head goes into the blood and falls down and it goes to the factory. You become a dad or a mom, I would say mom or dad. Mm-hmm. Your identity is a lot different from what it was prior. Right. Your identity has now become this child. I don't, and I want to give John know? a chance, but real quick, if yeah. you're doing that, near the end of the movie, Henry becomes the baby the ba- and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. It's like he's, be- he's, he's being, part of it. So his whole life is the baby. baby. He's becoming the baby. Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. And so I just think it's him struggling with this and, and Mary leaves, so he's he, he he's stuck with this baby. He doesn't know what to do. He has no attachment to it. I think he's projecting this alien because it's like an alien. It's like mm-hmm. he doesn't know what to do, how to care for it. It is foreign. It's foreign, yeah. And I think he, I mean, Ultimate kills it, and I, I think he kills himself. But the radiator woman, his overall fantasy where he just escapes, and that's like, I and think... heaven, everything is fine. <laughs> I love that song, too. It's so haunting and so beautiful, and I, I think it sums up the, the whole movie because in the end, he does he go to heaven and he's fine, right? I mean, I don't know. He, he's with his fantasy woman at the end. Hmm. And the woman next door is sort of like a tangible... 
she's a hooker or because she's Is she a hooker? Yeah, I think so. I don't think so. I think she but he 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 has a tangible affair and he has that wet dream with her. <laughs> it's a wet dream. He's in the goop, he wakes up, the sperm You had, you had to go with yes, it. He oh, has a wet no. dream. I think that's the tangible fantasy where he knows that he could possibly be, be with her and he wants to have an affair with her, and at the end, when he sees that he's she's with that creepy guy, and then the kid won't stop crying, you know, he kills it, and then I think oh, he kills himself, and then you have his brain, which is that rock, which we it, saw at the beginning of the he, film, and it has the guy in it, and I think that guy is like his moral compass, kind of steering him in the right direction, but then he can't. He's laying on the brakes, and he's got sparks coming up, and he's like, I can't control him anymore. <laughs> Give John a second. That's John me. Talk well, that's, a, that's yeah. all my, you wanted my theory. That's, right. that's, that's my whole theory. Yeah. You know, when I first saw it, one of the things I was wondering is, you know, so what's this man in the planet? What's his mm. role? And, you know, the, the obvious thing is, oh, he's a, he's a god, right? He's up there in, in mm. space, in heaven or whatever. And, and, of course, the other thing, yeah, but he's all messed up looking, so maybe he's the devil. For a while, I was into thinking that he represented fate, you know, kind mm. of a machinery mm. where you, you can't. You know, no matter what you do, you can't stop uh, the machinery. And then another thing that I got into was the, the theory of uh, this really being about addiction. So uh, you know, seeing it back in the in the eighties, you know, knowing it was made in the in the seventies, you know, is it an acid trip where he blows his mind at the end? Uh, you know, it's the little worm, um, like represents drugs. You know, the worm he puts in the cabinet, which kind of represents his his head. You know, he, he can't get away from that. I think more recently, I see that as uh, sex addiction is, uh, is hmm. you know, so he's, you know, what's the thing that he's most driven to is going to the uh, beautiful girl across the hall. You know? Yeah. Um, but more recently, you know, there are a few things that all of these theories miss. So uh, first of all, David Lynch has said this is his most spiritual film. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about fear of fatherhood, you go, yeah, well, here's the spirituality in that. Um, another thing is there are all these little details, just one after another. And so, you know, why does he throw a coin in the pot before getting a little picture that's torn in half? And then he uh, puts the two halves together wrong. And then he looks at the back, mm -hmm. which is uh, blank for a long time. You know, so mm -hmm. what? What does that mean? And so that was, that's where I found this literary text that actually has lines that correspond to all of these things. Hmm. And so, and so then you can look to, oh, what are the themes in that text? What, uh, where does that lead? And it's, uh, yeah, it's literally like more than 70 associations that I found that were, uh, were like that. So yeah, and then the, the other big question is, so why does he go to heaven at the end? Mm. So think about Henry. He, he's not a really likable character, right? He, no. He's whiny. Yeah. You know, you, you never come around anymore. Why don't you just stay there? You know, so <laughs> he's, he's not not somebody you'd look up to by any means. And then, um, and he kills his kid. So mm. now he's going to get rewarded by going to heaven? Like, what the heck? Yeah, so yeah. Those are the, some of the things that get tied together with the, the theories in the book. So, uh so I've gone through a, a long path to get where I am. Oh, another uh, thing is um, to mention, there's a, a book by uh, Kenneth George Godwin, Eraserhead, uh, what is it, Part 1, The David Lynch Files, something like that. And he theorized that it's uh, it's all about sex. So he, he picked out all of the innuendo. And one of the coolest ones, one that I hadn't thought of until uh, reading his stuff, is that 
the the stage where the lady in the a radiator is is kind of like the room. Yeah. And so here are these these worms that come into it, and she's like a spermicide, right? She's she's knocking them out. So oh. um, you know, it's kind of a, a different way of looking at it. And at the time, David Lynch said that was his favorite reading of Eraserhead. Hmm. But I got a theory there. My my theory is that it was spot on, but didn't hit the bullseye. So it was all true, right? All these sexual innuendos are in there, but it's kind of like seeing Morpin Mindy and saying it's all about sex because there's innuendo in it when it's really about a shit out of water and, you know, a guy from space and stuff like this. So, so I think it was close. It was right enough, but not on the bullseye. So that's why Dave Lynch said, yeah, this is the best thing out there. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. There is a lot of sexual innuendos. The beginning scene with the hole. Yeah, I've, maybe I can bring up my. Theory. Yeah, yeah. What's your I definitely am, I'm more on, on board with Brian that I do feel like it's about the fear of of parenthood. Maybe that's just because it's personal to me because having young children yeah. and and experiencing that. But like I think to me the beginning of it with that man and the planet to me is I and I go with you, John, about fate. But I feel like it's he's 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 pushing the lever to do sperm. Like the sperm is coming out and uh-huh. basically impregnating. Mary X. And I, I love that whole thing with the rip picture because to me, they maybe had broken up. Henry and Mary weren't together anymore. And it's like, <laughs> Henry is forced to go back to the parents and hang out with them and get married because he has a baby now. Yeah. And, so, and I think he's just yep. dreading the whole thing. In Lynch's own experience, um, Jennifer Lynch was three years old when they were making uh, Eraserhead. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, they did it for five years, so she'd be eight. But when she was a baby, I guess she had like some club feet and she had she had to be in a cast. She had some problems. And then, how do you say it? Calicky? Calicky, right. Yeah, yeah. So she would cry a lot. So I, oh, I, I know just from without kids would have the problems, how annoying it is. And and so I, I feel like he could at least relate when making this film mm. to having difficult trouble with a baby and stuff. So there was th- there was definitely elements in there. And for me, that whole part at the end about in heaven, everything is fine. I don't think he's literally going to heaven. I mm. feel like, ah, oh, the peace. And like this yeah. is, to me, this is horrible if this is the message because you don't ever want to think that you should ever kill a child. But in some way, he's kind of like he's free from this tortured monster. That's that, what I got. Yeah. Because yeah. she's saying, she's singing, you know, she's singing that song. But yeah, it's her his fantasy, and that's his fantasies of the whole film. So mm. for him to be released, and to him just to go to that fantasy, it is odd. Like John, you were saying, he's rewarded, but I think his brain—it's just where his brain goes. Mm. It's his soul or whatever just goes to this fantasy. And it's interesting, you know, throughout the film, he there are parts where he's just looking at the radiator, like he just mm-hmm. wants, like it's almost like he's zoning out. Yeah. Like I don't want to deal with anything, so I'm gonna look at the radiator, and then he kind of creates this. This world, this the, the stage, the stage and stuff, and you know, this is kind of again the, where he, Lynch has his stage, which he has throughout all his other works. That there's a stage and there's a, there's a singer. Uh huh. <laughs> and I noticed. I don't know if you, I'm sure you guys noticed the rug was the Chevro- zinc, Chevron was uh, a rug yeah. in the lobby mm-hmm. of his apartment, like and, the red room, like the red room. And it was interesting that lobby. Um, you know, he always check his mail. And then he gets that little box, and then the the fairs start happening and everything. And I was wondering, I'm like, you know, that mailbox was sort of like connection to the outside world. Hmm. Or maybe he was, hey, I'll check the mail, and I might see the girl next door. Hmm. Like, it was sort of like today's version of 
a cell phone. Oh, yeah. You know, a communication it, that he's he because he, he seems very lonely. Yeah, and, yeah, he's very by himself, and maybe you know you always check. They, they did they they gave us a flash of the mailbox for some reason um, in one part of the film. So I thought that was interesting. So I was reading in uh, in Kenneth George Godwin's book um, that Lynch actually made that carpet himself. Wow! So, so it wasn't just something he happened to find, or that was something that was like super intentional. You can imagine how much work it would take. I imagine he got two different carpets and mm. cut them and put them together, glued them down, or something. So uh, you know, you, you had to be dedicated to wanting that pattern, and uh, and it's lived with him ever since. So to me. It's a zigzag more than a chevron. Hmm. That's like pur- it's like purgatory. Hmm. So, um, so if you think about the zigzag, it's never centered, right? It's a little to the left. It dithers. I, I'm going to the left. No, no, I'm going to the right. No, hmm. I'm going back to the left. So you're never uh, you're never at home. It's like imagine a dot in the middle of a circle is kind of like uh, I'm at rest. And with this. You know, it's in, it's unstable and never ending, and so yeah, the purgatory thing works for me. And so the lobby is kind of this in between mm. world. Uh, it's between his inner world of the apartment and outside world, so it kind of works as that uh, purgatory in between thing. I like that. Yeah. And John, are you into Twin Peaks? Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm no expert. <laughs> I uh, I haven't seen it. Uh, you know, in fact, I didn't watch it back in the day. I wasn't watching much TV, and my parents were into like the Cosby show and you know all the all the stuff that competed. So cheers, it was probably. only more recently yeah. that I thought well, Yeah, cheers the the whole series, yeah. What I was thinking about was the last episode of Twin Peaks where we're in the red room with Cooper and the little man says, This is the waiting room. And to me, I mean, again, I you never know if, if we're talking about this actual space of the red room is the waiting room or if the lodge or the red room, the whole thing is the waiting room. But what I'm thinking about is the waiting room reminds me of what you're saying about purgatory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're neither on earth nor at a final spot. And you're not at rest. You know, this mm. is as unstable as it gets. And by the way, that last episode of Twin Peaks has got to be the greatest episode of TV ever aired. I agree. Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) It was so beyond anything that you would see any other place. There's nothing comparable. That's so true. Yeah, I saw it when I saw it when it aired, and I was like, I was like, I think I, I, in my room I had a TV, and I was like on the edge of my bed watching. Like, I've never seen anything like this. It's, That's your moment. That, that was, was your moment. moment. Yes, right there. You know what it was. Uh, <laughs> this evolved from another of Lynch's uh, film that he was working on. He was working on um, Garden Back, I think in the 1970s. Garden Back, and it had Henry and Mary in this film, and it was about adultery. Oh, so kind but of fitting. It was a little bit fitting. I think it was only supposed to be a 20-minute short. And the thing was is people wanted him to turn it into a feature. And it, they wanted to stretch it, add more dialogue. And I think he was very frustrated with that. And he kind of just threw it out there. But he took elements of that and, and brought it into Eraserhead. Which, that's cool. Yeah. And that's what it seems like he does um, a lot. And do you guys think the baby is what it is, what we see on screen, this creature... Or do you think he's projecting that? I mean, what's your theory on the baby looking the way it does, and for what reason? I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Well, one thing about it is that you know it, he had another sexual innuendo. You know, especially when he opens it up and uh, you know kind of looks like a male organ. So, yeah. uh, so he's kind of 
you know, killing off the male sex drive in a way. uh, But I think there's also some evil in that kid. So, you know, back to the the spiritual stuff. Mm. This is not what you want children to be. And, Mm. uh, and, And you don't see any other kids or any other. In fact, the only other place that you see any life, like think about the. Uh, the stuff in Henry's room is all dead. The stuff outside yeah. is all dead. The, mm. all, the only place you see any sort of life at all, oh, in fact, the planet at the beginning is all dead. Mm. The only place you see any life at all is a married place. Yeah, she has a little bit of life force and was able to give birth to this thing, but, but the whole world is so decayed. And yeah. In fact, that's another thing that you get from the man and the planet is that uh, the universe has decayed. It's almost like... Uh, you know, uh, we've had a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, and it uh, and things are really messed up. Mm. And, uh, the pencil factory did have a little boy, but you think yeah. that's not the little boy should not be first picking up a head and bringing it to a factory? Did that really happen? Like you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, like it happened, but I'm saying like metaphorically. Right. That's true too. You know what I'm right. saying? Because it didn't it's really dream, happen. Yeah. yeah. Like, are you saying people don't take heads and turn them yeah. <laughs> into erasers? Or erasers. Yeah, you know, I guess originally I think Jen Lynch was what as a girl, little girl was supposed to be in this film. I oh, she think, wasn't. I didn't. Yeah, see, I didn't I saw see her, her in the credits, but I don't. I think there was a scene in it of her. That was cut out. Yeah, unfortunately, they had, he did the the first the first airing. In fact, the one four years ago, you know, come on the nineteenth. Uh, that first airing at Filmex. Uh, the film was a, like something like a half an hour longer, hmm. and, and apparently it was just intolerable to, to watch. And you know, Lynch had fallen in love with uh, with all the scenes. You know, put so much hmm. effort into him, he just just couldn't cut them out. And then finally, after he he got how uh, you know how difficult the film was, uh, that's when he you know got out the razor blade and hmm. uh, cut up the film. And, wow. uh, and that's when we, when we got to our eighty nine minute version we see today. And yeah, you mentioned the baby and the sex drive thing. It, it does kind of make sense because, it, I mean, it's not quite clear, but it looks like the, the it, well, it, it, that's what happened. The the woman next door uh, basically rejects him. She yeah. has sex. She's not comfortable with the baby in the room. And then she leaves and abandons him. And after that point, you know, it seems Henry basically kills the baby. And it's like, it's kind of a combination of us saying that the baby is messing up his life, mm-hmm. but it also seems to be... <laughs> That it, it makes me, for some reason it makes me think of Lost Highway that like you could never have here that he he can't yeah. he, didn't, he didn't his performance was not good enough for the woman next door and she moved on. I like that Lost Highway connection. Yeah. You can never have me. That's so true. <laughs> well, to me, the trying to divide what's what's real and what what's not. Uh, the dividing line happens where he first goes into the his mind goes into the radiator and the woman starts uh, stomping on the on the worms. And if you look at the way he's dressed and kind of the sequence when he lays back in bed, uh, oh, the woman next door comes over, and then there's the the pencil factory scene. So all of those, to me, are dreams, nightmares, visions, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, yeah. however you want to call them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he he finally uh, wakes up after the uh, you know you remember that the pencil operator he he blows the dust off of the off the table, the eraser dust. Then Henry wakes up just like just messed up like what did i just see yeah (laughs) we should talk about that scene he's on the stage where his fantasy would normally be but all of a sudden it becomes a nightmare and you have a plant bleeding which john you mentioned all the plant life being dead i wonder why the plant was bleeding and then the baby's poking its head through him which is like it's part of him and his head pops off Mm. and then 
his head going into the blood. I mean, what do you guys? What, what's his head, interpretation? His head pops up, and then he his head becomes the baby. Too, yes, right? yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I I always wonder what's up with the plant that's next to his bed. I don't know if it's one and the same, but it's interesting. He's got like this mound of dirt next to his yes, bed, and he's got this plant. And then at the end of the film, the plant does the plant turn into a big head of the baby? Yeah, or? yeah. I mean, well, it looks like the baby's attacking him or something weird. You, but you're right. But you're I right. was trying to figure: is it all connected? Is that plant the same plant in his dream? Could be. He, if the fact that he can't even take care of a plant tells uh, me how are you going to take care of a child yeah. in the painting. No responsibility. Yeah, in the painting is a picture of like uh, a bomb. Atomic bomb. bomb. Yeah. In, wow. I don't think I have noticed I noticed that. that right away. I was like, that's depressing. Wow. Why would you have that? But that's I mean, look at the time. mushroom cloud. This never, is an yeah. industrial family, you know, where hmm. maybe this was a fear back then, but he has got the dead plant. Maybe that's what he feels like, though. Again, maybe that's his feeling of, like, life is over. Yeah. Like, there's no it's life It's depressing. Now. Why should My I have life... a baby uh, uh, in this world? Is We could all die. Or just that the baby makes me feel like life yes. is over. <laughs> so certainly where he's uh, there in front of the plant, that's like uh, judgment, right? So he's, uh, mm. um, you know, because he's standing behind that, that curtain thing, almost like he's in the witness box. Mm, and, yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's kind of this uh, blood and judgment uh, mm. thing with the, with the plant as his judge. And then the, the head comes off, which is, uh, yeah, kind of like uh, being decapitated, you know, so mm. uh, you know, off, off with his head. And, uh, and then if you think about what happens after judgment, here's the spiritual thing again. Mm. Um, he doesn't ascend. He goes down. So in, in the dream, you know, uh, he goes down into the netherworld. So in other words, he's uh, damned. Yeah. With, uh, in his dream, right there. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. You know, so David Lynch also really likes Kafka. Like he was, really? like, he was a big fan of Kafka. Metamorphosis, the whole idea of like. So I don't know. In some way, he's, he seems to be metamorphing. Uh, Henry seems to be metamorphing into the baby. Yeah, I mean, they're part of each other. Yeah, you know. I mean, they clearly are, right? The baby is a part of him. That's yeah. so true. Yep. Yeah. I think Gardenback, you, you mentioned earlier. I think that was even more tied to. Uh, metamorphosis. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I think it had to do with an insect in the attic, but you're right. It, it was more of, I don't know if eventually that Henry was turning into the bug or insect, but you're right. I think there was more of a connection. Leading into the next scene, the whole racer head, the whole racer. I mean, do you guys feel that, does that scene work for you guys? Like, it is odd to be where it is, and it does give a meaning to the name, and I, I kind of see the whole, I, I understand what the metaphor is, but I mean, what do you guys think about that scene being there? It's odd. It is so odd, for, right? It's I mean, so odd. I don't know. So for me, I had the same reaction that, that it was really out of place, that it was almost like you're giving this whole scene just about a pun. You know, he's a uh-huh. razor head, and now you're showing that there's a razor in his head, so it explains the title. So it seemed kind of cheap and out of place to me but more recently you know having gone gone through the analysis seeing the the literature and so forth uh i, I in some ways it's part of a hero's journey believe it or not hmm. so when his head is judged and then the, the guy does the erasing with it and he says it's okay it's almost like he passed the test that Ooh. uh that at that point you know oh this like he's the one he, he's the eraser head and so, uh, so you can look at this through a whole hero's journey thing, and he fits it. Right? I was reading this, this stuff about how you know here are the ten things to know if if you're you know a superhero, and some of it is like um, technology starts acting weird around you, like you know the lights start buzzing, 
you're you're kind of a loser before you know what your powers are. You know, uh, you see visions, and so it was, it's like well, it was like eight or eight of the ten things on the checklist hmm. all work for Henry. So, and this is the only reason for me to to see that yeah, does Henry actually follow the hero's journey? Of someone who's lost, and then it turns out to be you know the one. Never would think of Henry as a hero. If anything, anti-hero. <laughs> I don't even know if he's anti-hero. He seems he seems a jerk, a schlub, selfish. He's a schlubby and, and guy. Like, he killed his baby. Like what? The, yeah. You, like let's go back to you, Brian. What if there is no baby? What if it's really him dealing with relationships, and if it's all in his head, and he's trying to. Yeah. You know, work I, I mean, I do believe there is a baby. I yeah. just don't believe it looks like that. I think right. that's his projection onto the baby. Yeah. Like, the baby has a lot of problems because it's premature, and he doesn't have his girlfriend anymore. I think he's projecting this ugliness onto the baby so he's not connecting to it. He's not mm. going to love it because it's probably easier for him to kill it if he has no emotional connection to it. Mm. Like, if he loved it, he wouldn't kill it, obviously. He had no right. love for this baby. You know, what if we take the context of the baby didn't exist at all? And yeah, but what if this was just a, a metaphor for him? For, uh, yeah, for not being able to connect. He lost with... his, yeah, he, he lost his girlfriend because he couldn't perform. He had anxiety. He, all he wanted to do was fantasize about the next door lady. He couldn't. Maybe he was an adulterer. Maybe he just wanted to cheat, and that's the only thing he he liked. And she just got sick of it and left him. Maybe this make believe like thing torment him. Yes, the monster. Monster. Or maybe it wasn't. Maybe they didn't have the baby. Maybe the baby. Um, something happened, and the baby. Uh, the uh, they had a miscarriage. Mm. And maybe this baby represents that miscarriage, and yeah. it's haunting mm-hmm. him that he couldn't have that baby right. through the whole film. Yeah. You know, I don't know, because there's nobody else there but him. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, I don't know. So many things. Yeah, one thing I've seen from Lynch is that he's, he's the master connector, right? He's the, the kind of person who, if he sees something or reads something, he's going to make like a 10-dimensional model of spider webs connecting stuff together so and when he does that it allows like many many readings rather than than Mm. one i imagine if we were to ask him what it meant he could describe it on uh, many points of view he could Mm. tell he could tell us 20 different stories depending on which level of the spider web he was on Mm. I'd love to talk maybe about uh, the crew and cast a little bit, but I really think that Catherine Coulson is the unsung hero of yes. Eraserhead. I mean, so she was supposed to be a nurse in in the film. They had to cut that piece out. She was, you know, she did, uh, I think, the, the what did she do? She was an uh, assistant. I think she was assistant director, but she helped out with the with the camera and and she did a lot of the background stuff but she was she made grilled cheeses she would like she would help out every way she can craft services <laughs> yeah <laughs> so she got those worms i guess are actually umbilical cords they're real umbilical cords she would oh go my God. she would go to the hospital and said we're doing a film and uh, we would like to get some and they would actually give it say as long as you're not misusing them <laughs> so wow. she doesn't say oh i'm throwing it against the wall or something but uh I don't know. She she was a pretty amazing woman. To me, Catherine Coulson is is uh, an absolutely. She's the glue. Like David Lynch had the motivation and the charisma to pull everything together, hmm. but to get through all five years, 
you know, he was like, you know, the mom, you know, mm. she was the one who made sure everyone was, was fed and uh, taken care of and was, and I think kept a positive attitude, you know, yeah. that, that can do attitude. So uh, I've got a really soft spot in my heart for her. She's, she's just wonderful. The first time was Charlotte Stewart did the hair for uh, Jack Nance. And then after that, at the time, Jack Nance was married to Catherine uh, Colson. Oh, yeah, yeah. But she was always the one. They, they had a hairdresser, but to stylize it, to, it was always uh, Catherine Coulson who was doing that. So that's kind of neat. And she, I think she was joking in an interview that, that was the, that's what split up their marriage, that her having to do his hair every day. <laughs> I'm sure it was other things. but uh, Yeah, I love his hair. It's Kramer-esque. And they were saying at the time it, it was like really far out and like nobody had their hair like that. But, you know, years later that was like it became – it was a style, not because of a racer head, but yeah. people did that. I, th- I think the cast was amazing. I think Jack Nance, yeah. he did so much with just his expressions. Mm, and his movement and yeah. how – yeah. And I think it's a testament to what a great actor he is. Mm. And honestly, I never knew – uh, what a great actor he was until seeing this. Like, I've seen him in small, you know, Twin Peaks and everything, and I'm like, oh, he's a good actor. Yeah, Pete Martell there, right? But you see this, and it's, he he is he carries the film, mm. and you're like, wow, he did such a great job. What's funny is, you know, it took four or five years to do, and so there was, like, one scene where, like, he was going to open a door, and then he gets on the other side, and I think it was, like, at least a year, a year and a half later before That's he good. opened the door, so that, I think there was always concern of, like, is he aging in this film, like, because it was take, took so long to, to actually finish. It took a year to open the door. Yeah. One, one truth with all the actors is there's never a moment where they're not believable, you know, that at every moment, that's Henry. That's not Jack Nance. That's Henry there. Mm. And, and same thing for all the characters. There's, there's never a time when you go, oh, that, that's a good actor. No, that's the character. There's right. Winning. Yeah. And you think of Charlotte Stewart, who played a teacher on Little House in the Prairie, and, and at the same time she's doing Little House in the Prairie, she's making a razor head. And what very different characters they are from a sweet teacher to, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know, I, crazy wife <laughs> yeah and oh that scene when she's with her parents you know when they're like they ask him what do you do what, what are you doing i'm on vacation and then what do you do do and then she has she goes into this like fit yeah i mean what what do you guys think about that what was your like i'm like oh does she have something meant uh, like she's like a mental thing yeah to me it's a double entendre like she says, you know, so what, what do you do? It's like on vacation. She says, what did you do? And, of course, oh. there's the sexual thing. Of, oh, I got your daughter pregnant. You know? Gotcha. Right. That so, makes uh, sense. You know? And, you know, that triggered something where she don't want, she doesn't want to talk about it. It's uncomfortable. I mean, it's uncomfortable You're with your parents, your boyfriend, and you're going to talk about you're having a baby. And maybe, it, you know what I'm saying? Mm. I mean, in the mom says, Do you and Mary have sexual intercourse? That, that line, when I first saw it, you know, uh, back in the day, w- was just like, my jaw just dropped. It was like, oh, I couldn't imagine <laughs> yeah. being at somebody's house, and their parents asked me that. It's like, how do you even respond? Mary? Mother! Yeah, then she goes after him and, and uh, you know, starts kissing his neck and stuff. It's like, okay. Yeah. Over the top. She's condemning him, but then she kind of like is turned on by it too. Yeah, <laughs> and then Mary walks in and says, "Mom, like, <laughs> not again, not again." <laughs> yeah, and the whole family's bizarre, and maybe he just sees his future like 
I'll be like that dad. I'll be excited about chicken in 20 years when I'm living with the entire family. Yes. Because this is a time when a generation, you know, that you have the grandma living with the parents. And this mm. is something that was very common back then. And I love the scene where she's, the grandmother just has the salad and they have to come and help her stir the salad. Yeah, yep. She's not doing anything. but uh, uh, Just have a cigarette yeah, in her mouth. And, of course, his previous, his previous film was the grandmother, who was mm. a loving character. And, and here the grandmother is just drained of life. Just mm. yeah. Drained. yeah. Everybody's drained of life in this. It's the world, the, in the, the industrial world, it just feels like everybody's just kind of, mm. eh. You yeah. know, life is, eh. <laughs> like, what are you doing tonight? Eh, I don't know. Eh. Like, it's just that kind of vibe everybody's got, yeah, you know? And totally. drab and, um, and muddy. And it reminded me of uh, Elephant Man. Like, Industrial, definitely, and I, I'm like, oh, I wonder if they filmed a lot of the same stuff in the same area. Mel right. Brooks yeah. actually uh, decided he wanted David Lynch to direct Elephant Man because of a razor head, and you kind of think, boy, that's such a a strange reason to do it. But you're right because of that industrial feel. I think that he saw something in that and said, you know what, this would be a good fit for Elephant Man. And I think it was. Yeah, and I think it was that, and the the fact that he could treat Henry, this outsider character. Uh, so tenderly hmm. that uh, I think that was the other thing that convinced him that he could really tell the story. Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing that the Elephant Man and Henry have a lot in common. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely see that. And the funny thing is, the baby in some ways is like the Elephant Man. Yep. Even though the baby can't talk, I yeah. mean, it seems like here we have this deformed character, helpless yeah. character, but controls Henry. You mm. know, cries conveniently when he wants to sneak out, mocks him. Mm. Um, and I kind of feel like it is doing it on purpose, um, or maybe he sees it that way. Yes, you know, see, he, he sees, sees it yeah. that way. He's projecting onto. Yeah, the baby. he's projecting onto the baby. <laughs> right. Definitely. It's funny this. So I guess like the treatment or was originally like twenty one pages, and he took those twenty one pages and made this film out of that. And I, wow. keep, I always wonder like, did it just keep on growing? Like I feel like Lynch's style. We've talked about this before, Brian, where he thinks about something and like. It was never intended to go that way, but it's like, oh, this is a happy accident, and now I'm going to add this to it. And like to have a film that went for almost five years, you kind of wonder if like he started with some ideas and just kept on going, going with, with it. it. It's yeah. like, okay, now we're going to go to the pencil factory. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, yeah. so one of the things I did when uh, trying to find the connection between the literary text and Eraserhead, mm. so I, of course I had downloaded the text and so I could search it, and I wrote up a screenplay, uh, you know, using traditional Hollywood screenplay techniques wow. um, uh, of the film. So I just, you know, watched and paused, watched and paused, and got it all down. Uh, and put more in my screenplay than you ever would in a real one. Because, right, the director doesn't want the screenwriter to tell them how to light it or what mm. props to use. or Yeah. So, so I included all those details so that I could refer to it. And, and my script was only like 35 pages, 40 pages or something like that. Wow. So it, it's a sparse film. There's not much dialogue. Mm. And so, uh, and the scenes are long. And so there's, uh, so yeah, that, that is definitely a movie where one minute per page, uh, that formula doesn't work. The longer thing was just thinking about, uh, you know, reading the, the other text that it's related to, which mm. is a long text. And then, um, you know, and then you think about, uh, you know, the, you find a line, you go, wait, is this related? And you go back to the other one. And so it was a lot of searching. And then it was also a lot of, of like, a uh, scene would come to me, and I'd have to think of what are all the synonyms for for that thing or that event 
And then I'd go to the other text and start typing in those uh, synonyms to see what would come up to find out if there was any relationship. So, mm. um, so it really took some some scouring. But well, here here's the key about it: is if the film or if the piece of text was like Alice in Wonderland, it wouldn't work, right? Because mm. you know Alice follow Alice follows the rabbit down the radiator or down the radiator down down the hole, <laughs> right? And so if uh, I if, like that. Uh, it, it, if you film that, then you're just filming Alice in Wonderland. Mm. But if so, the the stuff has to be metaphorical. So uh, you know, he looked at me like a, you know like a porcupine on roller skates or something. You know, then uh, people don't remember those little metaphorical lines in detail. Mm. And so you put all those metaphors together in concrete terms on film, and uh, and so that's kind of how it works. It's, uh, yeah, you find all those metaphors, and you go, oh, my goodness, this metaphor that was just a throwaway line and, you know, the interesting, colorful line in the other text, mm. David Lynch put on film in Eraserhead. And so here's an interesting thing is, is that true for his other films? Mm. Is, there a, is there a text out there where you go, oh, my goodness, this is, well, and actually, I know there are things from this text that are in at least three of his other films uh, there are multiple times in the text that mentions the owls. Most of the cases, owls are related to death. They make the sound, uh, like the sound of, of uh, like uh, the bell uh, mm. when someone dies. But uh, but also there's an owl who is a person who is transformed into an owl. Mm. So the owls are not what they seem. Mm. <laughs> nice. So. John, can you share more about your background? I love your drawing style for this graphic novel, The, the Keys to Eraserhead. Can you share more your background? I, I just doodled as a kid. I never really you know, studied art or anything. Hmm. I didn't study literature either, but when I found this connection and saw how rich it was, I couldn't just write some thick academic paper. You know, that hmm. it, you, you've read stuff that uh, analysis papers where they're just, they're just hard to stomach. Um, and so I wanted something that kept the dreamlike feel of the movie. And so that's why I went to the graphic novel style. So I draw a scene from the film and it allows me to change the camera angle, to change the lighting, to erase things from the background. So you focus on the thing I want you to focus on. And, um, you know, had I used like screenshots, you know, the, you wouldn't necessarily get that focus that, that I was able to do with the, the drawings. Now, I keep mm. the drawings in kind of a similar perspective as, as a film uh, frame, and so I try and make it kind of hypnotic so you'll forget about the art and just remember the scenes in the movie mm. rather than, um, uh, yeah, rather than uh, anything else. Interesting. That's cool. So can do you, do you think you'll now look at other David Lynch films and maybe try to analyze them more other literature other other works yeah definitely so yeah now that i know this particular author uh I, oh and here's another thing that i did i i read two of the closest related works from this same author hmm. and, and said oh, am i just grasping at straws you know am i doing the conspiracy theory thing hmm. where hey everything this guy writes is so colorful that you can find a lot no there was just no resonance from these these two most closely related uh works just none at all. So it was like, yeah, I did. So I did the scientific test to see if I was, uh, yeah, just grasping at straws. And uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are things, you know, like, oh gosh, just look at like 
check out the lines from the log lady in they're like poetry hmm. and especially the the lines that uh, david lynch added later i guess when he went to when he went to bravo he added some introductory lines from yeah the, the log, log lady, lady intros yeah. yeah if you read those those are totally like poetry definitely so like, I, i'm wondering if those aren't inspired from uh from other uh, poetry other literature or something you know hmm. that uh, they're, they're wonderful they are i agree that is something I can't wait to watch it again with just hearing yours and John's theories on it. And you'll um, ha- you got to get John's uh, graphic novel. Yes, to check I it out. can't wait to read it, John. Right. I'm very excited. I-, I will say, so John, you were kind enough to share it with me, and I'm not going to give any secrets away, but it really blew my mind. And it was one of those things you blew my mind that I, I kind of get a headache, and it's like, oh boy, it's like I need to now relook at this whole thing. It's like one of it's it was. I, I commend you for for being able to look at. At the the work that you found and connected to a razorhead, I commend you on on doing that. Yeah, just feeling that uh, with so many examples that it was uh, a real connection, or did it seem like eh, I don't know, it's kind of a reach. I I could see connections. It's one of those things where I never would have thought about that, and I don't even have a background in some of that stuff. So I almost feel like I need to re look at that stuff and really understand it better. You made great connections. I mean, you made some really cool connections, and I don't see how anybody would ever see this. I mean, I'm impressed that you that you were able to connect the dots, crack the code. And some of the things are are just like on the nose. You know, mm. when you, you read about yeah, like there are two lines that are specifically about sticking up hair. Uh, there's one. A single line that talks about, well, the context would indicate transparency. And, of course, Henry's transparent in the beginning. Mm. It talks about uh, sticking up hair. It talks about eyes that are wide, uh, you know, like, yeah, like circles. And so uh, so Henry doesn't blink in that scene. His eyes are just as wide as can be. Mm. It mentions stars. You get stars in the background. And it mm. mentions uh, pens. And so he's got pens in his pocket. So wow. in one line, all, all those things exist. And then you look at the stuff on the screen and you go, well, there it is. On, there it on is. On the screen. Amazing. Yeah. I'm excited to read yeah, this. And there's, yeah. and there's a second line that talks about uh, hair standing on end as well. So uh, so it's not the not the only one. Uh yeah, you made a lot of connections. Is. I mean, you you found a lot of connections. I mean, I do love that, you like, things like, why did this happen? And why did this happen? Things that seem very random in the film that you were able to connect to other other work, which it, it's very impressive. Was... Yeah, thanks. Was the Bible yeah, and, one and of them? I think it... Yeah, the, the Bible, there's uh, part of the Bible is in there. And that, that talks to, uh, you know, like you said many times, this is his most spiritual work. Mm. And so, you know, all the analysis that you read, you know, about fear or sex or something, there's, there's no spiritual connection there. And so, you know, that was part of my curiosity is, but where is the, where's the spiritual, and he even says, I picked up the Bible and I read this line, I said, yeah, that's it, and I closed the Bible and put it down. So, <laughs> so he's, so that was, that was there for him, but uh, that doesn't come through in most of the analysis that I've read. Interesting. That's awesome. So yeah, so tell people how can they get again? How can they get your uh, graphic novel? Yeah, so uh, go to keytoeraserhead.com. That's K D Y. Then the number two eraserhead.com. They uh, an order button there, an order page, and uh, you know tells you about the book, and then uh, you can find the links to Amazon or to the iBook store. And uh, so yeah, five ninety five uh, is what I'm uh, asking, and uh, 
available for pre-order and will ship on uh, March 19th, 40th anniversary of Eraserhead. Nice. 40th anniversary. Well, you got perfect timing. <laughs> I'm ordering it today. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- thank <laughs> you, John. Good. Yeah, thanks a lot. And that was our Eraserhead show. Great show. It was you, awesome. you got to check out that uh, graphic novel there. I uh, Once we leave, I'm going to go home and I'm going to buy it. And yeah. I recommend everybody else do the same. Keys to Eraserhead. John makes a really good argument, mm. but it's still kind of like, I never would have gone there. I never would have put the two together. And I think and, that's really cool. Yeah, so he did a lot of work on this. It's it's just cool to check out. And to hear you, who is a diehard, mm. and I'm sure you've seen Eraserhead uh, countless times. Countless times. For ha- to have you say, I would have never thought to go there, mm-hmm. says something right. to what he is bringing to the table. Yeah, and he and he uses Lynch to, to make his argument too, which is kind of cool. That like Lynch has said some things that makes clues. him go, clues that kind of connect that. Where I never would. It seems far far left and out there, but it's like oh yeah, I can see that, and I can see where he you know draws the connections. Ben, before we go, I got quick housekeeping. 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 Um, so, you know, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, I said, hey, it'd be awesome if we hit 400 on the old Facebook like page. It would, but you, and your hope was but before the new Season series three. came. Yeah, so you still got a few weeks to do that. Well, we did it. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Congratulations. Um, so my new goal is 450. 450. All right. Yeah, you got yeah. a few weeks. If we can do 450 before season three, <coughs> at the time of this, a little over 400. So a thank you to everybody who's thank liking you. us thank on you, Facebook. Thank you, community. That's awesome. And, you know, it's a great source of information. Uh, we share other Twin Peaks uh, podcasts and resources, uh, resources and, yeah. and uh, including our own. So thank you. So stay with us on that and Twitter. We got Twitter going, and Twitter's. Um, Ramp it up. Ramp it up. Over 10,000. That's wonderful. And I'm going to announce this now. Um, we do have a YouTube page, Twin Peaks Unwrapped, on the old YouTube. Now, you might say, well, what the hell do you do on the YouTube page? We had no idea what to do with our YouTube page. I was going to work on <laughs> I was going to watch it work on an animated version of our podcast. Which you can see. It's up there. The first one. The first it was one. Really, I think it's our first 10-minute introduction just to test it out. Yeah, just for yeah, fun. Those are fun. I don't know if I have time. Yeah, it's a I lot can't of even get a, I can't even get our show out. Uh, never mind. You do a great job, Ben. Yeah. Don't okay. worry about All it. Right. Don't All worry right. about it. The animated thing, check that out. Also, we have another thing on there. It's kind of special. It's the TV pilot for Mulholland Drive. Now, the interesting thing about that is if you live in the U.S., guess what? You can't watch it. Ah. If you live outside the U.S., not Germany, you can watch it. I left it up there for the folks who could watch it, and copyright laws prevent people from the U.S. and Germany to watch it. Um, And I'm sure there's workarounds. Um, So that's up there. So I was like... What can we do special on the YouTube channel? Just something different, just to get people to know, hey, we do have a YouTube channel. We're going to do stuff with it eventually. Mm. Starting April 11th, we are going to, each day, um, You, we will repost um, our journey, mm. my journey through Twin Peaks with you. Yes. From seasons one to season two, including the books, mm. including... Joel Bacco, 
Um, Joe Bacco is going to be on four of the episodes. His specials. His specials. Yeah. So each day I will be posting and sharing this on Facebook and I'm sure maybe even Twitter. Mm, um, definitely. Where you can go on YouTube and re-listen to these episodes one a day leading up to season three. Every day will be something and the final day will be the day before season three awesome so this will be starting april 11th i mean if you listen to our podcast it's not not going to be anything new mm-hmm. but it's it might reach a different audience right and that's why we're gonna I think do it's this cool. yeah that's awesome yeah and i think there's probably some people who haven't listened to some of our early stuff you can re-listen to it right it's a great way forgive us we, we make our mistakes <laughs> yeah we do <laughs> but it's all good yeah so i mean it's it's a good way to refresh your memory yeah before I can't season that's three. Awesome. you could even watch the episode that day, starting April 11th, and listen to our show. Right. I mean, whatever you want to do. Right. I think it'd be kind of cool, though. And it's it, it, it's really a great journey. It was fun to watch you discover Twin Peaks for the first time. It was fun yeah. to see you discover, find out who killed Laura Palmer. It was a lot of mm-hmm. good times. There's a lot of great stuff. And I great had, moments. I re-listened to some stuff, and there's some cool nuggets in there. My favorite, too, is that your your theories, the Brian theories. Mm. You have some good theories I about, do. like, yeah. You got to listen to those. I, I, I wish we had time. It would be great to have a whole... Th- uh, Edit out. Edit Super cut of my theories. Yes. Yeah. Your haunted houses. <laughs> Dale Cooper being the killer that yes. he came in to solve the crime, but uh, he's actually the killer. I love it. You know? It's good. Yeah, it's great. So we'll be doing that. Um, and other than that, you can join us on Facebook, the Twitter. Send us an email, TwinPeaksUnwrapped at gmail.com. And, and don't forget that, you know, iTunes, really, we need those oh, five yes. stars and the, the, your reviews. They're yeah, so yeah, important, yeah. and they're, they're critical to uh, making this show, that, that to let other people know about this show. And it really, it gets us excited to want to go out there and get some new uh, interviews. And why don't we promote it? Why don't we say what's going to happen next week? We are going to do... Ooh, we're going to have a big one. Ben. Yeah, what well, we're going to have... We're, we're going to continue about Eraserhead, and we're going to have... Judith Roberts, who played the beautiful, the beautiful girl, girl across the hall. hall. So yeah. it would be wonderful to have her tell us about Lynch and and working on Eraserhead. And I think we'll probably do some uh, interviews from the past just to make it a full uh, show on, on Eraserhead and, and some of the actors that were involved in it. It's going to be very cool. It's awesome. But, you know, what, what excites us and wants us to keep on reaching out and, and trying to get new special guests is those, those comments and your feedback – on iTunes, on Facebook, on Twitter, all over. But the iTunes is so important because that's where people decide. They, they, they check out the reviews. They see how many stars. And that's how they decide to even check us out. So yeah. if you're listening and you haven't done a review yet on iTunes, please take five minutes and do that. That means so much to us. Uh, definitely. And second goal, other than hitting 450 on Facebook, is to get us – or another Twin Peaks podcast that you might like better than us, which I don't know how that's possible, if we can hit the top 50 yes. in the arts and entertainment of iTunes. Get Diane's podcast there yeah. to hit that. Or Any hit- of those guys. You see the trends of yeah. podcasts when a show's popular? Right. And I, I want to see Twin Peaks up there. Oh, I, yeah. I haven't it's seen be any there. Twin Peaks up there. we got a few months to go. I know. I, but but I, come on, we need it now. <laughs> All right, Brian, it's right. time to go. Yeah, we're out of here. And Brian, in heaven, everything is fine. Remember when Jan was about three, she would come over and ask if she could play with the baby, and mm-hmm. you'd say, yeah, but don't touch it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Spike.
has a special place in my heart, very definitely. Whether it's um, because of my own feelings of of uh, Spike sort of representing the nightmare my father thought parenthood would be at that point, or um, um, who knows, but just I think there's a very sort of sweet um, elephant man type quality to the baby. 